Well, good morning, church family. Hope that you are doing good. Hasn't it been a great morning to celebrate baptism and all that? Yes. Um, I, did, I, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I feel like it's appropriate that we, we need to. Um, one of the beauties of our church family is that we're just that. We're a family. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt. And at the same time, when one person needs prayer, we all pray. And um, right now, some of you may or may not know, uh, but we just received um, word. One of our church members, faithful church member, his whole family comes over the last couple of weeks. This has been struggling with some COVID complications, has been in the hospital um, on a ventilator, and uh, his kidneys were failing. So they started dialysis, I think, yesterday. And the doctor, like literally, like in the last few minutes, just called the family to tell them to come to the hospital and just ask for us to pray. And so before we dig into God's word, I know that's a hard shift, but we as a church and personally as believers, we believe in the power of prayer. And while it might not go according to our plan, we know that God is at work in this, however that looks. And um, at the very least, we know that the spirit of God uh, we can pray for them, for him to comfort this sweet family. Um, it's Jeff Thomason, his, his wife, Kim. Um, kids are Ty, Jesse, and Josh. And they have grandkids and everything. And so um, I just figured, let's just start this, this morning, the service, just by praying for them. I think that's, a, that's the best way we can do. So let's pray. Um, God, um, we don't know all the ins and outs. And some of us in this room might not even know Jeff and Kim and their family. However, as believers, you call us to intercede for, for our family. And God, we just right now in this moment, we know that Kim and Jesse and Josh and Ty and the rest of the family are hurting. They're probably um, just confused and going every which way. And I can't even imagine what that would be like right now. As their dad has just struggled over the last couple of weeks in the hospital, not even being able to see him and then getting a call just a few minutes ago to come up there. But Father, one, we pray that your spirit would comfort them and guide them and just give them great strength as comforter and counselor as only your spirit can to get through this. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we know that there is a greater hope than just life on this earth, and that's in you. And so, Father, through this, through the heartache and the grief and whatever looks next, whatever decisions they have to make, that, God, that you would provide them wisdom and comfort as only you can. But we also pray, God, that if it is your will that a miracle be done, that you as great physician— that through the work of, and the intelligence of doctors and nurses and through your power would bring life to Jeff. That you would help his uh, kidneys and just his lungs breathe in the best way that you can. But we also trust you in the moments that if that's not your plan. But would you allow us as a church to walk alongside this family that just are hurting right now that we cling to you and we pray and intercede on their behalf and that God, that you do what you do and that this would point people to hope 
and trust in you even when things don't go according to plan. But we selfishly also pray for just the miracle to take place. So you are the miracle worker. And as we just sang truthfully with our mouths and with our hearts, there's nothing that our God can't do. And so God, will you do that? Selfishly, would you revive Jeff and in this moment, allow him just to have great healing. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. I know that is uh, hard, but we need to pray for them. Continue to pray for them. Um, I don't know the best way to update you unless you follow us on Facebook um, and our members page, but we could do that. But uh, just be praying diligently for them. Great, great family. Um, don't really know how to transition from that, but I guess the best way is to turn to God's Word. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22 in the Old Testament, not 1 Kings. 2. And um, last week, if you were here, we started this series, Revive. Really, it was birthed out of our staff team, our teaching team, with this prayer for our church to really... Um, have a spiritual awakening, if you will. I know that sounds super spiritual, but I don't know about you, but over the last two years or so, I know maybe it's COVID-related, maybe it's not, but COVID definitely has impacted us in, a, in several different ways. And I'm, I don't know about you, I'm sick and tired of talking about COVID uh, and using it to, for this, that, and the other thing, but it's here. You know, it's a reality of life. But I don't know if you felt this way, but over the last two years, I feel like for all of us, and I put myself in there, it just seems like there's like more anxiety that's brought about. There's more stress. There's more uncertainty. Um, maybe some of you have lost loved ones. Have you've walked through it? You've uh, maybe some of you have shifted your jobs to working from home, which sounded great at first. But now you've gained 40 pounds because you're bored and eat out of your pantry and you're ready to meet people other than your kids, okay? Um, maybe you've walked through the whole school thing of your kids being exposed and now they're home and you're a homeschool parent and have to shift that way. But regardless, I mean, the statistics show that I mean, stress levels are up, depression is up, mental health uh, issues are up. And it's just caused a lot of anxiety. People, um, it seems like COVID probably brought about a lot of anger and divisiveness um, outside the walls of the church, but also in the walls of the church. And so with all those things, I don't know. I just feel like for many of us, we're just burnt out. We're just kind of spent, tired. You know, as they say in the South, you know, rode hard and put up wet. <laughs> you know, kind of old school Southern saying. And we're just tired. And I think that impacts our spiritual uh, lives, our walk with God, more than maybe we would like to admit in some levels. And so with that, we just began to pray as a staff. Man, God, revive us. Bring some life into our lungs in the sense of, let us not be these cultural zombies walking in Christianity or just being... Um, our reputation kind of hanging in, being stressed and burnt out and just you know, at wit's end type thing, but being ones that actually have life in a community that is stressed, in a culture that is uh, anxious and depressed and looking for answers and looking for hope, let us be a people that 
start a revival and are revived in such a way that that becomes contagious and other people see Jesus. So we started with that prayer. And last week, if you remember, we looked at the book of Revelation. We looked at um, this moment where, remember the Apostle Paul, or Apostle John, sorry, was exiled to this island of Patmos for really preaching the good news of, of Christ. And while he's there, God comes, speaks to him, and says, hey, I want you to write these, these, things, these words down uh, to these seven churches. So he begins to write these seven letters to seven churches, and the first one was Ephesus. Ephesus, Ephesus everything was going great. It was about 40 years old at the time. Uh, but they just kind of lost sight. They were just going through the motions. They fell in love with the religion instead of falling in love with God. And so God speaks to John, says, hey, write these things down. Hey, and he commends the church. Hey, you're doing a lot of great things. But then we get to verse 4 of chapter 2 of Revelation. And God says this, and hopefully you remember this from last week. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. And he says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So he says, hey, you've lost your first love. And we remember those moments for many of us where we started to follow Jesus, gave our life to Christ, and just things happened. And so we're going to be in 2 Kings, and we're going to see a similar scenario of what takes place and how the, the Israelites really have forgotten about, um, about God. And so I want to connect some dots a little bit, kind of give you some historical references in this, and it really starts back, if you remember, if you know your Old Testament history a little bit, it's the nerd in me. God shows up to Abraham, enters into a covenant with Abraham, pretty much says, hey, if you do this, if you obey me, man, I'm going to give uh, your descendants and your ancestors the promised land, and they're going to, man, they're going to be so blessed. And so Abraham's like, okay. So he packs up everything, leaves his home country, and we kind of see through uh, a bunch of patriarchs and father figures in the Old Testament we get to a guy by the name of Moses. You probably know that story. God shows up to him um, through a burning bush and says, hey, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt because the Israelites, through a roller coaster of up and ups and downs, obedience and disobedience, they are now slaves in Egypt under King Pharaoh. And Moses is like, you want me to do what? So he goes, he leads the people out of Egypt and into a time of 40 years of wilderness essentially in the wild. Um, could you imagine being 40 years, like not really having a home? And so they're frustrated. They're doubting. They even get to a point where they're like, we just need to go back to Egypt. We had it ba better there. Um, God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai, brings the Ten Commandments. And this is really God's law that's established in order for the people, the Israelites, to begin this relationship with God. God says, this is how I want you to live. You need to do these things according to these commandments, live um, in harmony with one another and with me. So Moses has that. And as Moses is approaching the promised land, he's actually not going to be able to experience it, but gets to a point where he leads a charge. He's about to hand the baton of leadership to a guy by the name of Joshua. And as he does... We see his words of encouragement and challenge to the people in Deuteronomy 6. So in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3, we see that this is what, what Moses is challenging the people. He says, I'm just connecting some dots here to bring us up to uh, 2 Kings. 
He says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, and uh, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of these statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And, if, uh, and it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So Moses says, hey, you're about to go into this land of milk and honey. You're about to go into a place that you have everything from, uh, you're transitioning from slavery and really being abandoned in this wilderness. And I'm bringing you into this land. You're going to have everything. Do not forget who God is and his statutes and his commandments. Well, guess what happened? They forgot. They got in there and they were like, milk and honey, what? you know, life was everything. I mean, think about it. It was like they went from the desert eating manna, falling from the sky, which probably tastes like those little communion crackers we get. And now they're like at the Golden Corral buffet. And don't judge Golden Corral, okay? They got a chocolate fountain. And so now they're here and they have everything. But here's why it connects to us. Because if you really think about our lives, the affections of life can distract us from the purpose of life. The things of this life that we so enjoy, that we're so passionate about, that we so love, good things and bad things can distract us from the purpose of life. It creeps in and the people, the, the Israelites get there and they see they have everything and they're, they're gaining steam and popularity. They're multiplying and they're, they're um, be, uh, getting riches and being blessed and all these things. And before too long, they're like, you know what? We don't have to depend on God like we did before. We have everything we need. Kind of sounds like the quote, American dream. We have everything we need. And so the distractions happen because of our affections. I mean, think about this in your marriage. Those of you who are married, I have a lot of things I love. You know, like um, I love Tennessee football. Go Vols. Okay, sorry, Gamecock fans. All right, just got to say that, okay? And um, I'm, I'm sorry if um, you're an Alabama fan too. That was a heartbreaker. But, um, but anyway, I love football. But could you imagine if I went to my wife and I said, Sloan, sweetie, all this week, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to watch football. And there's Sunday night football. There's some, game, there's some games on Sunday all day, Sunday night. And on Monday night, there's a Monday night football game. And then I'm going to watch some reruns of some championships on Tuesday and, and Wednesday. Then Thursday, there's Thursday night football, right? And Friday night, I'm going to go to high school football. And Saturday, we'll watch college and then vicious cycle, right? Let me ask you, how well would that go with my wife? Now, she, I'm going to tell you, last week, she was like, hey, you can just have a, a day. Not that I need permission, but, you know, she was like, hey, why don't you just watch football all day? I'm like, that sounds like a good idea, you know? And we have those days. But our relationship would not be healthy if that's all I did. And if I was distracted by that, and so often by the good things, by the sports that we love to see our kids play, or the jobs that hopefully you love, or the hobbies that you love to do, it can distract us from really following God. And that's exactly what happened 
to the Israelites. And it's, it's really interesting because along the way, God provides people in the path of the Israelites to remind them of who God is and to not forget his faithfulness. And it's almost like, you're like, oh, thanks. Yeah, we'll do that. And then they just go back into this vicious cycle. We see David, King David, who we just studied in 1 Kings, he, uh, he's about to pass away. His son Solomon is about to take reign. And he says this to his son Solomon in 1 Kings 2, 2 and 3. I'm about to go away of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes and his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses. Now you see the connection you see the dots that are there? So even David um, was like, hey, Solomon, don't forget what Moses told us in Deuteronomy 6. You know, we see that. It's written. And so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. So David dies. Solomon becomes king. And mainly because he wanted to see his dad, King David, his dream come true. And I think a little bit out of obedience to the Lord, he decides, you know what? We're going to build a temple. My dad wanted to build a temple for the Lord, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to build a giant church, essentially. And you got to remember, culturally, the church wasn't just a building to have some cool services. Really, they looked at the temple of the place where God would dwell. It would be the presence of God. And in it, it, would, it was really the place where heaven met earth. And so Solomon has this incredible goal. He builds this, this um, fantastic temple to the Lord. And, and everybody's like, man, this is awesome. And I don't know exactly what clicked necessarily, but after it was built, it's almost like he did it just because of his dad and his dad's memory. And maybe he had some pressure from the people, but the temple's built. And shortly after that, for political gain, Solomon kind of becomes cocky, if you will, kind of conceited, and for political allegiances, begins to marry daughters of kings in other nations. And Scripture tells us he had over a hundred wives. Now listen, I know Solomon is known for praying for wisdom, but I don't know if that's very wise, okay? Now I love you ladies in the room, I love my wife, but having a hundred wives is not good for a superman, okay? I don't care. And he begins after marrying and having these 100 wives. They come from different cultures where they worship other gods. And so he begins to adopt the rituals and the faith of these other gods and says, hey, let's bring those idols into the temple. So now the temple that's supposed to be for the place of God and God alone of really, uh, if you think about Deut Deuteronomy 6, the Shema is what it's called that's something that's supposed to be memorized and remembered and repeated over and over and over. And part of that is, here, here I, you know, here, O Israel, I'm the Lord, your God. Like, I am the one. And now the temple, Solomon has defamed and said, all these other gods, just come on in. And it really began the, the decline of the temple and of the kingdom and of people looking to God. And so what we see in 1 Kings and 2 Kings is really this history of king after king after king the downfall and just brutalness of no godliness, pagan uh, rituals taking place inside the kingdom. And that brings us to 2 Kings 22. And we see this, this turn of events of really unfaithfulness of the people and, and idolatry. 
start to turn because there's this king named Josiah. And Josiah comes, and he becomes king at the age of eight. Can you imagine that? Like, I have a 10-year-old, and I'm like, there's no way I could see him being king. And so if you have an eight-year-old or maybe a grandkid who's eight, he becomes king. And I love what Scripture says about him. It says this, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of David. Now, he walked in the good ways of David, not David and Bathsheba ways, okay? He walked in the ways that said, I trust God, I'm confident he's going to get me through this, and, and it's his kingdom. And so when he turns 26, we see that Josiah has this deep love and desire to bring the people back to God. It's almost like he just, he realizes the nation is corrupt, it's full of ungodliness, sound familiar, okay? And he desires this revival and says, I want God to use me. I want God to use our people to return back to him and for us to make a significant dif difference in the history. And, and so we see this. And so what Josiah does is he says, hey, I'm going to probably, if we're going to do this, his strategy is we need to start with probably the most significant part of all of this. And that's the temple. If the temple is the presence of God and that's where heaven meets earth, we need to kind of uh, bring it back to its glory. And so he decides we're going we're gonna to restore the temple. We're going to clean it out. We're going to get these pagan gods out of there and all of these different things. And that's where we pick up in this story. And I'll probably butcher these names. It's Old Testament, okay? So if you would like to read them from the stage, have at it. Uh, but I'll probably butcher them a little bit. But give me some grace here. But in chapter 22, verses 8 through 10, we see that uh, Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shepham, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book of Shepham, and he read it. And Shepham, the secretary, then came to the king, and he reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house um, and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Saphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the, the priest has given me a book. And Saphan read it before the king. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that we see in this moment is that the Israelites, they forgot the law. They forgot the law. They forgot the words of Moses. They forgot the Shema. They forgot the whole, this is what we're supposed to remember and pass on to our kids and our kids' kids and their kids and all these different things. Because what we have, take, have taking place here is when Josiah decides to clean and restore the temple, they're cleaning it and they come across the book of the law. Now, this is absolutely included the uh, book of Deuteronomy, but some scholars believe it was actually the entire Pentateuch, which were the first five books of our Bible. And think about it. Isn't that ironic that Moses challenges the people as you go into this land that do not forget what's going on. Don't forget who God is. Don't forget about what's taking place and how he's worked in your life and his faithfulness. And they totally forget. And so then when Josiah decides to restore the kingdom, they find that book. They completely forgot about the law. It's almost as if they went in there and they find like this dusty scroll and they're like, I wonder what this is. They're like, 
oh, it's, it's the book of Deuteronomy. It's the book of the law. And so they read it to Josiah, the high priest does, and Josiah's like, what in the world? And it convicts his heart in such a way that it changes them. And we'll get there in a second. But they forgot this law. They, they totally forgot what is going on. And the reality is, is that there's danger that constantly exists when we disregard or diminish God's word. That's true of our lives. Think about this. I can almost guarantee you when there's something going on in your life and you're disconnected from God and you're struggling with a certain sin or you just feel like things aren't going your way, I can almost guarantee you, you are not connected to God's word. I can't tell you how many times I counsel people that say, hey, I just feel like me and God are distant or we're having a struggle in our marriage or I'm struggling with this sin. One of my first questions is, when's the last time you read your Bible? And 10 for, out of 10 times, it's like, I haven't. I haven't read my Bible in forever. And so it connects to each other that we have to be in God's word. And there's danger that is present that when we're not connected, what ends up happening is because of that negligence to God's truth, sin creeps into our life. And then what ends up happening is we're following uh, different things on how we see fit or the desires of our heart. And, and then it's not God's truth. It creeps in. And then, you know, what's so interesting is that when sin creeps in, we act surprised by it. It's like, why, why is that happening? And it's like, because you haven't been reading. You haven't been in God's word. And so the, the reality is when you're not in God's word, you're not walking with God. If you're not talking to him and reading about him, you're not walking with God. You're just, it's a cultural disconnected relationship of, hey, I believe in God and God's good, but we're not um, intimately walking with him. And so they had forgotten the law. And so they find this, they dust it off, they read it to King Josiah and listen to how he responds, verse 11. Verse 11, it says, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his Close. Now that sounds weird to you and I, but like it's like this Hulk Hogan moment, you know, like ah, you know, if you're WWE redneck, okay, um, that's right. I'm, I was like that, but this was like culturally speaking, was a moment and a symbol of his grief. It was like this righteous anger that it finally hit him. What in the world? We have been disobedient to the Lord. And out of that righteous anger, he just tears his shirt as this act of grieving to say, God, we cannot do that. We need a return to the Lord. And so what does he do? Pick up in chapter 23 in the first two verses. It says, from uh, then the king sent all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and they were gathered to him. And then the king went up to the house of the Lord. He went to the temple and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the priests, all the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in there, hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. So the second point this mor morning is that they remembered the way. So jo uh, Josiah finds and hears this book. It convicts his heart so much 
that he then gets the priest and the prophets, and which this is interesting if you think about it. They had a form of godly, uh, a god, um, godlessness in their, their culture, but they had priests and prophets that were in this love of religion. They're practicing these things because it's a part of their heritage or culture. So he's like, priest, prophets, y'all come here. Y'all don't know of this book. And if you do, you're not living by it. Then he says, all people, great and small, everybody, want you to gather at the church. We about to have church up in this place. So he gathers at the temple and he reads everything that is in this book so that they could hear and remember. And surely there's some people along the way that were like, I kind of remember my grandma and them kind of talking about that. And so they remember this law. It sparks something in them. And if you think about it, as he's gathering everybody, I can't help but think about um, Josiah thinking about these words of Joshua saying this. As they got into the promised land, Joshua says, This book of the law shall not depart just from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So they remembered these things and God uses Josiah to kind of prick the hearts of people to read this truth in the book of Deuteronomy and have them remember this way. Now think about this. I think this is so true of our culture today. The people of the time have been living however they wanted to live. They were living by the desires of their own heart. And the reality is what the Bible says is more important and is more true than what the heart feels. What the Bible says is more true than what our heart says. Now, I've said this before. It's a hard reality. But our hearts are wicked. They're sinful. And we're like, well, that's harsh. It's true. It's in the Bible. And so we can't say, well, just follow your heart. Following your heart will lead to destruction. And so what we need to know is that following God's word, and the people weren't doing that, and that's why we saw this vicious cycle of disobedience and and horrible pagan rituals and things uh, corrupt their their life and their nation. They weren't living by the, the truth, by the word of God. And so Josiah reads all this. And because of his leadership, this is what happens next. Verse three says, And the king stood by the pillar, And he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of this covenant um, that were written in this book. And all the people joined in the covenant, all the people. So as he reads these words and everybody's there to join him, out of his leadership, he says, you know what? I'm making a covenant. That's the, three, the third point. They made a covenant. Josiah said, hey, I'm committing to the Lord that we're going to obey his word. That's going to be a priority in my life. And then because of that, the people of Israel said, hey, we're going to make a covenant. All the people that were there decided that they needed this time, that all the people joined in this covenant. Now think about this. What would it look like for us, for me and you, Upstate Church, Five Forks, and all of our campuses, if we decided, man, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to the Word of God like never before. 
Because so often it's like we want God to do these amazing outcomes, but we're not walking with him in his word. And just as I said last week, if revival uh, if we want re- revival to begin in our church, it begins with our hearts. But in order for revival to start in our hearts, God's word must be at the center of our lives. It's got to be at the center of our lives. We can't expect, man, God's going to change people's lives. He's going to use me to reach my neighbor, my family member, my friend who doesn't know Jesus. And I'm going to do all that, but I'm never going to read the word of God. And so, As I mentioned last week, man, I want this place to be a safe place. And I know culturally speaking, it's not like First Baptist Simpsonville or downtown campus where it's like officially an altar where you come on the steps and you pray and you commit. But I hope that you feel like this is a safe place that, man, anytime you can come down here and just get on your face before the Lord and just say, hey, I need to commit. I haven't been in God's word. I want to see a revival. I want to have a discipline and a boldness to be seeking God's face by being centered in his truth. And so if that's you, I invite you. You can do that. If you want, to, you want prayer, if you want some time, this is we close in this last song, to talk to me and just ask for prayer. I had a gentleman on last service to say, hey, I'm not the husband that I should be. I'm not the father I should be. I just need some prayer that I can make God's word the center of my life so those things will be the outcome. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you want to take a next step in baptism. However that looks for you, man, I invite you to come this morning. But let's pray and let's commit together for God's word to be the center of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're all distracted at times in our life. There's so many different things in our world that can distract us, good and bad. And so often we're all guilty of just being distracted in such a way that it ends up that we find ourselves spending more time and energy on those things than our commitment to you. God, will you give us the passion that Josiah had to say, hey, we're gonna enter into a covenant. And maybe right now, Sunday, October 10th, is that time that we enter into a covenant and we make a commitment during this next song to say, I need to be in your word. For some of us in this room, We couldn't tell you the last time we opened our Bibles and began to read what your word had to say to us. And it doesn't have to be an entire chapter. Maybe it's just a few verses. But God, give us that passion and boldness to be centered. And through that, revival begins. As it starts in us, it's just an outflow of our lives that only your spirit can do. And so God, as we sing about your goodness in this next moment, God, remind us that your goodness is found in a relationship with you in reading and being centered in your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and worship together.